Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode at Your Friendly Neighborhood Atheist. And alongside me is my guest, none other than Lord Dragnot. Dragnot, how you doing? How you doing? What's going on? Not much. How's your day going so far? Oh, it's going excellent. <laughs> so, um, if you could in introduce yourself and, and tell the audience a little bit about you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I am a non-believer. Uh, I've been so, oh God, for almost uh, 10, 12 years now. Uh, I first came on the, the scene during what they refer to as the Great Debate Era and the Great Debate Community on Google Plus uh, that had been around since, oh God, since the beginning of YouTube. Uh, and so <clears throat> I would watch videos of like Amazing Atheists. I'd watch uh, early episodes of The Atheist Experience, you know, Christopher Hitch slap videos and that sort of thing. And I finally found my way to a weird little corner of YouTube that had the Magic Sandwich Show uh, with DPR Jones and R. Raw and Thunderfoot and, and many others, Concordance. Uh, so there's actually an episode where I, uh, I uh, got the audacity to come on the actual show and uh, be a participant. And that's where uh, R. Raw encouraged me to start my own YouTube channel and do my own thing. So uh, now kind of here I am, but uh, that's, that journey was kind of speckled with uh, a weird kind of uh, uh, story of, of me realizing what I wanted to do in life uh, in the midst of being in the military and saying, you know what, I really don't want to be on the top of this mountain and sweating my, you know, my testicles off. And I really wanted to be a scientist. So uh, I got the courage to say, screw it. This path is not for me. I'm going to finish my contract. I'm going to use my, my GI Bill benefits, go back to school. And so I have, uh, I'm well on that path. I'm actually about to complete one of the major hurdles uh, in a few weeks now, which is obtaining my bachelor's degree in biology with a specialization in cellular, molecular, and biotechnology. That's awesome. What, what would you say, was there a specific event that happened that got you to decide that, hey, this is the path for you? Mm. Actually, yeah. So uh, I was, and this this is going to sound really weird. Uh, I was doing a, a detail where it's basically uh, details. It's kind of a task in the military, and uh, I had to clean latrines. And so I was at the uh, battalion area cleaning latrines, and there was this abnormally long uh, pubic hair that I was cleaning out of a stall. And I will that thing will still haunt me to this day. I don't know who had been growing that since the 1970s, but they they should trim that. Uh, and I said, there has to be some point that I say, you know what, maybe there's something else in life that I can do. Maybe uh, maybe this necessarily isn't where I saw myself uh, five years ago. Uh, military sounded great and glorious. Being a combat medic is, you know, people you know hear that in movies, but uh, this is not what I had in mind. And so uh, that was a really defining moment, along with uh, climbing, climbing the mountain. There's a mountain in uh, Fort Irwin, California called Mount Tifer. I actually have pictures from the top of that mountain. And I said, well, you know, if I can climb a mountain, then I can I can do mathematics. That was my big hangup. I thought I thought I was bad at mathematics. I'm not. I'm actually pretty good at it. But <laughs> I didn't have very good teachers and I didn't apply myself the way that I needed to in order to have a, a strong grasp of the topic. Uh, and so those sort of apprehensions uh, were lifted once I got that, that determination. And uh, I said, you know what, I 
can climb a mountain, therefore I can master this topic that is stopping me from doing what I want to do. That's a good outlook. Now, for clarity, you're not joking about the pubic hair, are you? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> that, that is a 100% true story. So a pubic hair inspired uh, biology. And, yeah, uh, in, in a way, uh, it helped motivate me. My, 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 so I said my inspiration started when I was a kid from Bill Nye the Science Guy, believe it or not. I, I would watch Bill Nye the Science Guy in the mornings. I was like, oh, man, science is cool, you know, and uh, biology. And it's like, a, it's like a puzzle. We're just trying to figure out all the pieces and stuff. Uh, so it is uh, that, that's where, like, my love of science had always been. And even in high school where I met, where I met my wife, uh, you know, I'd learned about stem cells for the first time. And that was kind of a magical experience to me because it made more sense to me as to how we have different uh, cells to do different things, even though we start off as one cell. Right. So that kind of connected a lot of dots for me. So was that also what made you uh, specifically choose biology? So the reason why biology is kind of my focus is because I want to go into cancer research. Uh, a lot of my family members are afflicted by a variety of cancers. And so uh, they sort of say, well, we're just going to pray and hope it goes away. And it's like, well, no, that like my, my aunt's dead. You know, my, uh, my mother had uh, liver cancer, uh, like my grandfather had cancer. Like it's it's not going to stop by hoping that it stops. Someone actually has to do something. So I kind of took it upon myself to say, look, if they're just going to sit around well, with the thumb up their asses and not do anything, I'm going to be the one to do something. And so uh, that's kind of where my attitude is because I get tired of people who do a lot of talking and not a lot of doing. And so that sort of uh, motivation, that sort of that, that, I guess that edict of mine um, follows me through everything that I do. I will say this, I, this is, I've heard that you attract trolls and apparently they're already in full force in the chat. Yes. Yes. Some of them are, are big fans of my channel. In fact, <laughs> I, I want to address uh, this, this comment right here. Um, so for the record, uh, he didn't ask me for a dime. He came out and did this <laughs> without, without hesitation. He was like, yeah, sure. No problem. So, so that, your claim has any basis that so that is one of my subscribers and so oh. that is actually an inside joke oh um, there was right. someone who recently had said that to about me in a video and it's well so for people who watch my channel they know that i tell people that they don't have to donate anything to me at any point in time if you tag me i'm just going to read out your comments anyway but some people prefer to super chat or cash app and all that other kind of jazz uh and so that quote is from someone that i review on my channel that misrepresents me. And so it's a, so my viewership will troll me with comments from people who don't like me. And that's one of them. All right. Well, that's uh, okay. Good to know then. I guess we are not being flooded with trolls. I, I saw <laughs> that. Like, don't get me wrong. They're still trolls. They're just they're <laughs> nice trolls. Um, so uh, specifically how long you said this is back in your like you got started in your google plus days so how long have you been doing this for about 10 years wow so you're, you're definitely a veteran here <laughs> yeah well I'm, I'm one of I'm one of many um i am one of many and it's sad to, to kind of look back and go wow i've been doing this sort of thing for 10 years that's crazy but you you gain a lot of experience along the way well, i can imagine what 
I guess since you've been doing this a long time, what knowledge or what's one tip you would give someone that is brand new to this? Mm. Don't ever become too big for your britches. The second you believe that you uh, can't be corrected or that people that you don't like can't correct you, you've already lost. And I've seen so many people even to this day uh, that kind of sit in an ivory tower with with specific people uh, that they designate are, as the ones that can correct them. Uh, oftentimes the people that those people comprise, they don't have enough knowledge to correct that person. And so then that person who's created that type of environment, that type of culture says and does whatever they want with impunity. Uh, and I think it doesn't help anyone, especially when you're claiming to be rational and you're claiming to be a skeptic uh, to kind of wall yourself off or cloister yourself within uh, a group of yes men. It's funny. I almost like you, you kind of pulled that from my head because yesterday I, I was in a scenario where I had to try and talk to somebody because this, in every conversation, this guy will remind you that he's a PhD candidate and that he will not engage with you unless you're an accredited academic, because if you're not, then you don't have the ability to correct or challenge him. Oh, wow. That's interesting. That's, uh, I think that there is some merit in saying that if you want to engage on a specific level of a topic, then you could have two interlocutors that have comparable knowledge. But the second that you say, well, only people that have this particular pedigree can challenge me, that's actually wrong because you're not fallible. Your, your, your fallibility uh, doesn't necessarily change based on your level of education. It, it goes based on your rigor and your ability to ascertain facts and to uh, avoid uh, implicit biases and that sort of thing. So I think that person has the wrong idea about how that works. <laughs> I'm going to, after, after this interview ends, I'm going to send him this tidbit and just be like, Hey, I, I think you need to watch this. Oh, sure. Cause I guarantee you that some of this person's professors would disagree with them on that, but yeah, feel free. Yeah. Um, okay. So, what mistakes do you think people often make when engaging? And I hate to say the opposition because I, I personally don't like when I'm talking to people, I don't like viewing them as the opposition, but realistically, mm -hmm. most people do that. What mistakes do you think people make when engaging people, engaging with people who disagree with them? Ah, uh, soccer counts going to like this uh, principle of charity. Uh, they, so what I mean by that, I don't mean being nice to someone that there's some type of uh, misunderstanding where people use that, that phrase to think that means just being nice to someone. You want to try and steel man someone's argument. When you hear uh, a theist, you know, for instance, talk about evolution and they may not know all the jargon, they may not have all the, the technical terms or anything, but you see what they're getting at. And so rather than trying to browbeat them, on the specifics, if they have 80% of it right, then just repeat it back to them and get some clarification, ask some clarifying questions and try to come to an understanding rather than trying to score points. The second that you start just trying to score points on someone, uh, you, you've kind of already lost the, the, the appeal uh, for the people out there who are looking for a good conversation. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, I've point scored on plenty of people when I have determined that the conversation 
is such. Like my interlocutor is just here to try and I'm going to quote shut the mouths of atheists. Uh, then that's fine. Uh, good luck shutting mine. And so yeah. that, the, the name of the game has just changed. So uh, I think that that's a really really big issue uh, that I see, especially from my era in in YouTube, uh, because that was big during the, the at the end of the Ponage era. Uh, because sorry, the Ponage era. Yes. So so I, and I will explain. So YouTube great debate conversations have sort of changed tone throughout the years. And when I first came on the scene, you had people like Brett King, you had Amazing Atheist, and you had the ability to respond directly to videos. And so uh, people would wait for uh, uh, Venom Fang X or Shock of God or Nephilim Free or somebody to make a video. And then they would try to make a ponage video, which sometimes will come as a compilation of the, the, the fails of the mischaracterizations of the factual errors. And it, it's, it hurts, right? If you took your time, you make a video and then somebody responds to your video and it's right underneath yours. And it is, you know, uh, you know, so-and-so owned and then your name and the title of your video. Uh, it's that's a that's a mar against you. And it's uh, something that became quite toxic really, really fast. And so it's probably why uh, that feature went the way of the dodo. <laughs> so <laughs> now that you mention it, I didn't know it was called the Ponager, but I uh, I remember the respond videos, and I always wanted to do one, but not necessarily ownage. I just wanted to you know respond to some. So mm -hmm. I, I could see how that feature would definitely become dangerous, and people would just rather than actually engage in conversation, they would just retort with gotchas or trying to take the other person down. Yeah, that's 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 the highlight of that particular. Uh, point in time, but that's how you grew your channel back in those days. Uh, but G-Man was around during those days, as we mentioned him earlier. Uh, G-Man was around during those days, and so the way that you would, uh, for a lot of people, grow your channel was that you would wait for him to appear on the Drunken Peasants or for him to make a video, and then you would, uh, you know, make your own kind of ponage video towards him. Uh, even after that feature uh, got taken away, having people use G-Man's antics for their channel was a good way of growing uh, your channel as a, as a fledgling atheist. Doesn't that, so I guess, I, I'm trying to think of the right word, but I don't know. I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Like I'd rather stand on my own merit than try and use somebody else's fame to up my credentials. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how a lot of people felt. And so when you saw that sort of thing, it kind of showed you that there, there are people who come to uh, this platform for different reasons. Some people honestly want to come and they want to learn. They want their ideas challenged and you'll find them. There's, there's plenty, plenty of people out there. Floyd F. P. is one such person. Now Floyd enjoys a good scrap, uh, but a good intellectual scrap, you know, from having his ideas challenged uh, while others, they, seem to kind of come here, the real, real, real firebrand folks, because they think that theists are inherently dumber than atheists. And so they, they plan on showing that. And so G-Man is a kind of tend the whipping boy uh, for that purpose. How, how, okay. So I think that is, and I, I'm new to this. So I really, I, I try not to paint too broad of a brush, especially because I'm fairly inexperienced, but it, it, bothers me when I see people immediately dismiss a theist as dumb just mm -hmm. because they believe in religion. Yeah. What do you think we could do to get people to stop doing that and 
engage in more healthy dialogue versus just dismissing an opponent simply because you don't agree with them or simply because you think they're dumb? I think calling it out uh, immediately is something that definitely helps. Uh, a lot of atheists don't like to be called out. And trust me, I'm, I'm very, very familiar with that. Uh, some of them have this mindset that since they are obviously in a superior position, uh, they can't be called out. And if someone does call them out, they have to have uh, some type of their their pedigree. You know, this this alpha atheist out there uh, can only be only Matt Dillahunty could call me out or, or something yeah. weird like that. Now, people won't overtly say that, but through some of the statements that they make, it's almost implied as though you have to be an atheist of merit in order to uh, tackle what is quite clearly a mischaracterization of whatever theist that they're talking to. But I think having a lot of integrity ourselves and saying, look, not every theist is stupid. Let me see you go up against, uh, you know, inspiring philosophy. Let's let's hear you tackle, you know, his arguments. Because right? calling him stupid is one thing. But he's not stupid. He's not. He's. I think he's wrong about the topic of God. But okay, cool. He thinks I'm. I'm wrong too. But he's not dumb, right? There are dumb theists, absolutely. But just calling them dumb because they disagree with you on that topic, I think is is not very charitable. Uh, so it's it kind of begs the question of, well, what do you want out of this? Are you just here to try and dunk on all theists to make yourself feel better, or you know you're just bored, or so? What 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 is it? So you seem more than willing to engage with people and give people, you know, uh, a fair chance. So why have you acquired so many trolls over the years? Is it just because you've been doing it for so long or is there something you're, you're doing that is leading you to receive more trolls? Oh, no, it's, it's a direct effect of me uh, tackling people and their behaviors because I am not one to beat around the bush. And if I think there's an atheist who's doing and saying something stupid, I'm just as likely to call them out as any theist. And so that makes you quite unpopular, uh, especially if someone has a really obvious character flaw that no one's talking about. Uh, I will throw salt on that wound and burn it because I don't think that it's very helpful. Uh, so it is, uh, it, it is quite largely an effect of me being an abrasive asshole uh, and, and probably less of other people just finding their way to me. Uh, so that's that's usually what that is. And so I have no illusions that uh, a lot of the people who don't like me, a lot of them actually have good reason. I tell them about themselves, right? I tell them what their, their friends to the left and right will not tell them to their face. And I say it in public. And so, and I offer people the opportunity to say, you know what, uh, drag out, you're wrong about me. Okay, cool. We can have a sit down and chat. We can do it in private, wherever you want. But I found that being honest with people out in the open gives more transparency than trying to whisper behind closed doors. And so even the people that I've chastised over the last few months, uh, some of them are now sitting in my discord and they greet me in the morning and we have really good rapport. I gotta say, I wish everyone was like that drag not it's, and very few people are. And, uh, you know, I gained uh, some respect for somebody in my audience yesterday and I already had tremendous respect for them, but I was on a, a round table with five other theists and i was being challenged and i was going back and i made a mistake and immediately an atheist in the audience that i've known was like you just screwed up he called me out and he's like and he called the atheist he's like you need to call him the task on that and to me that is one of the most respectable qualities because if i want a mistake i, I don't want someone to just brush over to forget i want to know like 
how am I going to improve if, if everyone treats me like a delicate flower? Like, Hey, like, dude, you screwed up. You made this mistake. Time to own up to it. Right. I absolutely agree. Uh, I think that though it takes a certain type of personality to do that. And uh, I'm going to be honest, a lot of atheists that I've, I've come into contact with are not in the right mindset to be corrected. A lot of them are incredibly sensitive uh, and spend <laughs> an enormous amount of time uh, trying to chastise other people. But the second someone goes, hey, uh, you know, you, you might want to understand the, the moon's effect on, on the waves and the water on the earth. You know, then it's like, ah, you know, they, they start to kind of shiver and, and shrink because they can't handle the same type of criticism they give other people. And that trucks me nuts because if you're going to give it, you better be prepared to take it. And if Absolutely. anything, you should be happy receiving criticisms because it's only going to make you stronger and better conversationalist or debater. So yeah. I don't know. I'm okay with criticisms. Um, so going back to, to G-Man, I was in a talk with him on Sunday and mm -hmm. uh, he brought you up and talked about you for several minutes. So what's the deal? What, why does he uh, like talk about you, think about you so much? So uh, there, <laughs> there are many theories out there, some of them more homoerotic than others. Uh, but <laughs> there's the, the main reason is actually a very long story. My, the genesis of me on YouTube uh, is actually around the same time he came around YouTube because I found him uh, through watching Drunken Peasants in the past and uh, Amazing Atheists and other videos. And so uh, back during that era, as I was building my own channel, I had uh, my muse. And at the time it was Godson Al, I think 32. I know it was Godson Al. Uh, he and I would go back and forth. And uh, then from there, he kind of just said, screw it. He, he wasn't really into people trying to correct him or offer their opinion. And so uh, he quits the internet. And so from there, I found uh, the guy, he called himself the ghetto guru or something, some guy on the, on the top of a, a, a roof, and then he would just wax lyrical about a bunch of crazy nothing, a bunch of woo-woo stuff. And so I would interact with him. Uh, he didn't like that too much. Uh, and so uh, I kind of moved on from him, and I eventually found G-Man. And so I started interacting. This is around the same time you could go into Google Hangouts. And so people could post a link. You can come in and just kind of just like this here. This pretty much replaces Google Hangouts, uh, and it was connected to YouTube, so people could see it. You, you could you could search Google Hangouts on air, and you could see these live discussions. And so, uh, G-Man became my muse, and for some weird reason, people like watching us interact. And so, uh, he believes that uh, he is going to convert me to Christianity one day. Uh, and he, yeah, I mean, it's just a pipe dream, but whatever, you know what, he can believe whatever he wants. Uh, and so my way of, of dealing with his, so a lot of his inane comments uh, are quite comical. And so people then started watching me more because they wanted to see my reactions. They want to see me talk about G-Man. And one of the, the highlights, it seems, is video, the most viewed video on my channel is called The Cowardice of G-Man. And so G-Man had just kicked me out of a Google Hangout and I went out in the backyard, which is nothing but desert, and I just started talking about it. Just this off the cuff, unscripted, and I to this day I don't even remember what the hell I said, but that made the rounds. And so G-Man is really big on people who get attention. If someone's getting attention, he needs to get attention. And so he started seeing me get attention, and so he started interacting with me more. Um, from there, 
it's been a really sordid story of, of him being upset that I don't accept his nonsense and then me making the type of commentary that I that I make, which is very abrasive, very harsh at times, uh, and just kind of relegating him to that of, of an idiot. Because I said, well, Jim, I've interacted with you for almost 10 years. I've had to correct you on one point uh, on evolution literally for years. And I've watched probably 15 to 20 people throughout the years correct you on this same topic every single time. And it's, it's not other people. It's other, everybody that you've interacted with have run the gamut of education from a layman who knows nothing about biology to literally a guy who has a PhD and, and uh, uh, evolutionary biology. And your response is the same. I said, you simply are not an honest interlocutor. You're not a debater. Stop calling yourself that. Just stop it. And so uh, my very frank, very, my very curt uh, assessment of him and his character uh, is not to his liking. In fact, uh, he, he becomes quite irate because people listen to it and they repeat the things that I say about him to him. And so that has spawned, uh, I'm not sure how else to explain this, the belief that I have mind control powers over people. And I, I know when you and other people hear that, it sounds really strange and it sounds like it's hyperbole, but him, uh, so G-Man, his buddy named Veckel, uh, spoken, they actually- met Veckel. Yeah, you met Veckel. They actually believe that I have some sort of supernatural ability to control people. You, you, you're so joking with me. No, absolutely not. If, if I'm, there's people who watch my channel and I review the videos that they put out when they say stuff like this. And so uh, people who watch my channel, am I lying about that? Is this not something that they have indicated? You're uh, not punking me right now. Like this, I'm going to hate them. You're, you're being serious. I'm dead serious. So, he, so mind you, they already believe. Uh, in some supernatural stuff. They already believe that they're in a spiritual war with goblins and demons and witches and warlocks. And so one of the, the and this is a newer belief, is I can somehow tap into this ethereal realm and I can manipulate this supernatural something or other and then influence people's minds. G-Man refers to it sometimes as the power of persuasion. And so I said, well, gee, man, that, that's not, I mean, I, I get it. Like I get the, the non-supernatural, you know, uh, kind of meaning to that phrase, but the way that he uses it, it sounds more like a, a, a Sith, you know, force power. And it's really, really funny to, to get him to talk about it because he'll tell you that, well, when Dragnaut says something, people believe it. Well, yeah, that there's nothing magical about that, but it's the way that it's put across is that, these people know that he's lying, but they can't help but to believe it. Like that's sort of the, the context that's built in there. And you would honestly kind of have to listen to him talk about it in order to see that aspect of it. But I'm trying to give the the, uh, the watered down version so that it's not so outlandish that uh, people can't kind of see the, how sad it is. That's just almost like I, I believe you, but it's almost unbelievable that that he thinks that you have a supernatural ability. Yes. Um, so I guess, is that where Dragoons comes in? Ah, so uh, Dragoons is actually pretty funny. So G-Man's about around 2000, late, I'll say late 2016, early 2017. Prob actually, no, it was probably before then. Actually, around, around 2015, because I was still in Maryland, because I moved 
in the end of like 2015, I moved from uh, Northeast Maryland to Houston, Texas. And so G-Man would talk about the cult of Dragnot. And so as uh, as Google Plus was in its death throes, uh, I said, okay, you know, G-Man keeps talking about the 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 cult of Dragnot, uh, which were it comprised of my audience, people who don't like him. And so they don't want to watch him, but they'd rather watch me talk about him. Right. Uh, I said, you know what? We need a name. If he's going to call you guys uh, the cult of Dragnot, then it, I, we need an easy uh, kind of bumper sticker to, to identify everybody. And so I did a poll. Actually, I did two polls. Uh, so the the Dragoons, the Dreadnoughts, the, the, uh, there were all a bunch of options on there. And Dragoons won by a landslide in both polls. And so that's the reason why Dragoons exist. And so G-Man doesn't realize that he actually was the one that started the Dragoons thing. And it's, it's been an open joke uh, for a long time. And so uh, we've kind of go, oh, the Dragoons are coming after you, G-Man. <laughs> but he can't pick up on sarcasm. And so he thinks that there's literally people who are like signing up. Yes, Dragnet, I'll be in your troll army. And so it's really funny because then people who kind of find my channel, they say, oh, this guy's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Dragoon too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they'll, they'll go and they'll, they'll mess with him and they'll claim to be Dragoons and all that sort of kind of stuff. Have, have you ever changed his mind on anything? Mm, yes, actually. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a topic and it had to do with health science. And I want to say it – I, I want to say it, it wasn't vaccines because – uh, that was Jade West, and uh, bless her heart, she's no longer with us. Uh, Jade West changed his mind on vaccines somewhat, and there was a conversation he and I had many years ago, and I think it was about it wasn't it was wasn't B seventeen because he still kind of believes that that's harmful. I want to say it was about what comes out of his shower head, and. I have to phrase this correctly because it's so G-Man thinks that the steam that you see in your shower where the water starts to condense, he thinks that that's gaseous chlorine and that's why your skin is dry after you take a shower. And so I had to explain to him that gaseous chlorine doesn't look like that. And if that was gaseous chlorine, you would be dead. So uh, he Where did you get this stuff. <laughs> chemistry, and he so so here's here's G man. There's a G man logic processor. He knows that chlorine is added to water to treat it. He knows that this treatment plant supplies him with water. He knows that uh, the water. Come, that comes out of his the faucet head uh, is is you know clear. Right. He doesn't realize that when water condenses, it changes the opacity of it. So you know, liquid water versus gaseous water. He didn't make the connection that uh, the fact that their their skin is dry afterwards isn't from chlorine, but it's from the the soap that you use, and it forms what's called a micelle around your oil you know, deposits around your body and then that dries out. So you're washing the water off and then you don't have any oil. And so, yeah, 
your skin will have uh, some dry spots afterward, depending on uh, your your particular you know makeup. But uh, he sort of just speculates about these things from limited information and then just draws these conclusions. Wow. I got to say, I almost wish I knew all of this prior to uh, to meeting him on SJ's channel. This would have been <laughs> uh, brought up some interesting challenges in our conversation. Um, oh, how would you tell the difference between somebody who's just trolling you and, uh, for instance, a, a someone who may be just a dishonest interlocutor or not even know better? Like, how do you differentiate between the two? Oh, confidence in the claim. Uh, so people who genuinely don't know have a lower level of confidence than someone who is who's trolling. So if I'm talking to someone and they want to they want discuss uh, abiogenesis and I say, OK, cool. Why don't you tell me about it? I allow them to, to teach me uh, the topic. And based on how they're trying to teach me, it, that helps me gauge whether or not they know what they're talking about. Uh, and I look for if they if I look for the shibboleth. Right. I look for if they understand any jargon or they use a jargon. Uh, I look for uh, them mentioning any studies that they've read, not not Wikipedia pages, not uh, which wikis are, are useful and as an overview. But if, if they've actually read any research, uh, their their formal or informal level of education and uh, whether or not they understand the fundamentals of science of that, you know, claims or uh, scientific claims are provisional. And so if they understand things like that, then I have a better gauge on whether or not that they're, they're trolling me. And I just kind of take my time and I say, well, okay, cool. You know, uh, you think that uh, uh, the auto uh, auto uh, catalysis that, that these particular molecules go through uh, isn't uh, the, the option for the first molecule. Well, well, why do you think that? Well, well, it's just impossible. Well, okay, explain to me why you know, are, are there no in, or me, are there no molecules that can catalyze their their own reactions? Well, I don't know. Well, you just told me it was impossible, right? I would think that you would know if you just told me it's impossible. So, uh, little questions and, and back and forth like that will really let you know whether or not they study or you know how how hard that they are for uh, holding to these certain notions. If they're willing to say, oh, you know what, I could be wrong about that. Probably not trolling you. If they're demand, if they're saying no, this is definitely it, and then they probably probably full of shit. So you'd say, you know, I guess the important thing to do would be to listen and then ask as many questions as possible to make a determination after writing them off. Absolutely. Socratic questioning is definitely very very useful. Awesome. Um, speaking of jargon, I have found. And, and this goes into one of my questions is I have personally found that with in the short time I've been doing this, one of the biggest gaps in communication between is between skeptics and the average Joe, because what I'll find is they'll engage in. I, I don't really necessarily have the best word to describe it outside of skeptic jargon. And what I mean by that is if you are talking to the average Joe about religion, in my opinion, it does a disservice to the the discussion when you just immediately point out all their logical fallacies because they are going to view it as an insult or attack and you immediately lose them and i i, I sometimes i want to scream and be like you've got you've got to learn to meet these people 
on middle ground. Sometimes you have to let those little things slide and you have to bridge the communication gap. Like I am in IT and if I'm trying to explain something, I'm not going to go into the complexities of it. I'm going to break it down in the most simple way possible. Right. right. Um, I think that, um, and I know exactly what you're talking about because I used to do that very, very early on. It's like, you know, I know these fallacies right off the bat. Even, I know obscure ones. I know the fallacy of relative privation, fallacy of a thousand flowers, stuff that a lot, not a, people, not a lot of people I didn't know what those are. <laughs> yeah, it's not, those are more obscure ones. You, you've seen them, you've encountered them, but you probably didn't know. But like the fact that I mentioned those, what does that do for you and I? If I, if I mention fallacy of relative privation, how does that help you understand what I'm trying to get across to you? Nothing. So uh, I, someone called it called it this um, years ago, and I, I don't know who I could attribute this to, but they called it uh, swinging the fallacy wiffle bat. And so, you know, you're just trying to go around and you're just, you know, bopping people. But that's a fallacy. That's a fallacy. It's not an I win button. You know, it doesn't actually do anything other than say, OK, that person formed a fallacious argument. But if you do understand fallacies, then, you know, the fallacy fallacy, uh, just because someone makes a fallacious argument doesn't mean that their conclusion is wrong. In fact, that you can you can erroneously reason to a conclusion that's perfectly sound, you know, and it's and even though the logic's not all you know valid, you it's it's right. You know, I can conclude that the sky is not made out of cheese because well, I fart on Tuesdays and my mother's <laughs> name starts with a D. That none of those have any that's a non sequitur, it's nothing to do with one another, right? But that conclusion is true. Uh the the, the non-believers that like to do that, they get kind of slap happy because they're just starting to understand philosophy. They're just starting to feel a little bit of that that, that little boost that, that, that you get from uh, being able to get one up on someone. It is a good feeling. Absolutely. Sure. I, I'm the first person to acknowledge that. But eventually you go, okay, what do I really want? Do I want to change this person's mind or I just want to look good? Because I can shit on a bunch of people very, very easily using a right. bunch of technical jargon in chemistry, but what does that actually do? You know, that nothing, it just makes me like an asshole. So I would say for the people who are doing that, know the fallacies, don't ignore them. Don't, don't just say, okay, well, I'm just not going to mention fallacies. You can use different devices, different uh, dialectic techniques to try and get them to see why the fallacy is bad. Uh, one of the things that I like to do, instead of telling someone that they're, they're special pleading, I'll set up the scenario such as, okay, so for group X, this is acceptable, and for group Y, this is not acceptable. Okay, you know, do I understand your point correctly? And so what I'm essentially doing is illustrating a, a uh, the, the uh, I just said it, the uh, uh, double standard that they have, essentially. Right. So it serves the same exact purpose. Now, but the difference is that I formed it in such a way that I'm asking a clarifying question so that I can help steel man their argument and I can also potentially show that if this is true, then it's fallacious and you probably need to re-examine it. Right. Yeah, I, and I, I, I definitely wish we could, and I guess the problem here is because I'm, I'm new to this, I there are so many times where I want to be like, guys, you're it's like sometimes they're just you're not accomplishing anything. You you're may score points in your own head. But just because it makes you feel better doesn't mean it's actually doing service to furthering the conversation. Personally, I'd, I'd rather play the long game and talk to someone over the course of a few months or a year to hopefully, you know, get through to them rather than trying to score that quick point. Right. 
And it, um, it depends on who you talk to as well. I, I, I can't leave that out. People who are NIFBs, the, uh, uh, the, the really, really radical evangelical uh, people who are, you know, want to get legislation to kill gays. Uh, they are some of the people that I am patient with, but I am also very curt with. And I don't want to give people the impression that uh, even though, yes, on my channel, I do land based idiots that when I do engage with people, it's not on the same level. People who are that hateful don't really have a big interest in trying to be told that they're wrong. And so uh, there is a way to own people that is a bit more sophisticated. You could try to show that their epistemological toolkit is simply broken and that if they are starting to just become just absolute recalcitrant and, and what you are trying to get across to them and that they're just absolutely wrong about, uh, there's things that I do. Absolutely. There's things that me and Sock Account both uh, do to kind of get people to stop BSing us. Uh, one of the things that, that I like to mention to people is that if I think that someone is BSing me, I stop asking them open-ended questions. I only ask them closed-ended questions with the condition that they qualify it afterwards, but I, they have to answer it first, right? And either yes or no, but then, or I don't know, but then qualify it afterwards. People who are trying to obfuscate will refuse to do that. And I've seen SJ do that actually at quite a few times, even in it, for a range of people. So it is something that's very, very effective. But the kind of the dickish part of that is that when they start to uh, stray away from that, I cut them off. And so say, let's, I, I want my question answered, please. Right. And so then the next time that they don't answer, I cut them off even sooner. And so that ends up building anxiety. Uh, right. and, and so that, that adds to sort of, uh, just a little bit of contention that's there, but then having to bring it back and go, look, this is getting a little, little bit of heated, a little bit of heated here. So let's, let's calm down here. Here's my issue. You're not answering my question, right? I've been more than patient with you answering all questions without reservation the way that you want. And I'm not trying to force you to say anything, but it's clear that you're trying to avoid because I've had to ask three times. And so uh, little things like that that I've kind of picked up over the years have kind of helped me, I guess, use as techniques for people who are difficult. Because sometimes you do have to play uh, bad cop with people who are just absolutely obstinate. Absolutely. Um what mistake would, and this kind of goes back to my question, what mistake would you say the atheist community is making as a whole? Oh, or right. you would like to see changed? Uh, so I, I would, I would stray away from saying atheist community. Uh, that's, that's kind of a pejorative in a lot of ways. Uh, there, there are different segments of non-believers. And uh, if I had to make an, an assessment of uh, some of the, the gross mistakes that uh that i've seen over the years uh presuming that you're right because you're a non-believer like that right there if if you could tackle that uh that would take care of some of the specific incarnations of that such as trying to trying to counter someone's argument because it sounds wrong you don't actually know why it's wrong it just you know that that conclusion is, is wrong uh right. and i've seen uh that come in the form of people go through a syllogism together and the conclusion is therefore God, but then they go back and say, well, no, I don't agree with it. Uh, that's, that's not, not how syllogism works. <laughs> so, you know, you know, premise A, you know, premise B and then conclusion. Uh, if you've already kind of agreed to it, then it, it seems like it, it comes across as dishonest. You right. know? 
So if you want to contest uh, a part of it, then you should say, no, I don't agree with that premise. Can we or can we unpack that? Uh, I, that's really, really annoying to see uh, because, it, again, it just comes across as dishonest. Uh, and I, I try to, there was one other that I wanted to think of, but that's that's one off the top of my head. Okay, thank you. Um, has a, a Christian or how has the Christian or theist community helped you? Um, and have they ever changed your mind on anything? Absolutely. Uh, throughout my YouTube travels, uh, I think that challenging my views has been instrumental in kind of who I am now as a person. Uh, I think pointing out that, you know, hey, you know, you, you non-believers say that uh, we're biased about this or this type of evidence. But, you know, here when someone else to the left of you says something like that, um, you don't bat an eye. And I think just kind of calling that out has been really good. And there's actually a friend of mine named Faithful to God. Uh, he and I, you know, talk several times a month and he points out stuff like that. And it's easier for me now to see. Uh, now that I've kind of pulled myself away from just, you know, let me just, I am atheist, you know, so uh, I, I think that that right there has been uh, something that I find invaluable. And um, so my specific appreciation would have to come in the form of uh, appreciating the Bible as, as, a, as a work of art, as a piece of literature. It is an anthology. Uh, I may not agree with some of the notions that animals talk and they're dragons and all this other kind of stuff, but I appreciate it as uh, a piece of uh, literary history. Interesting. Um, qu question from uh, Ricardo. Uh, ask Drag if the thousand flowers fallacy isn't really an argumentum ad baculum. I'm curious to understand your reasoning. Right. So the issue with uh, that is more of an it's more of an informal fallacy right that you essentially want to encourage people to openly speculate about things and i'm not sure if it's necessarily associated with argumentum ad baculum but it's the the issue is that if i am talking to my interlocutor and i say well you know what you may not understand this topic well just just start spitballing start spitballing about what you think you know x y and z is and then they start enumerating different uh, theories about whatever it is. And I pick the weakest one and I say, well, why would you think something stupid like that? And I start to attack that. Um, it's That's why it's more of an informal fallacy. It's just kind of a dickish thing to do. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's something that I've seen people do. I've seen atheists do that actually. And it is, it, it, it is really, it's really telling uh, because if you've encouraged someone to openly speculate, and then you purposely sift through those and find the weakest one to attack, then, well, that, that was your entire purpose of encouraging them so that you could, you, you because more than likely, the argument that they may have had that's better than that, you didn't want to deal with. Right. But this one, yeah, I'll, I'll tackle that one. Um, what, how hard has it been? Or what, I guess, what are the difficulties of being a, a black atheist? Oh, wow. Uh, so there's there's always a bit of a uh, kind of an uncomfortable feeling walking into uh, an environment with uh, like a, someone said a sea of white faces. And so uh, just kind of for that, that instinctual uh, kind of tribalistic sense that I have nothing in common with, with uh, you know, the people around me. 
Uh, for instance, I went to the Free Flow Conference down in, in Florida a few months before COVID, and there's nothing but people who are senior citizens and very, very white in Florida. So I have <laughs> any of them, but they were nice people. Absolutely. Uh, you don't have to worry about code switching. And so the way that I speak now that you hear me speak is not the way that I naturally speak. I have to translate my native dialect from lower Louisiana into what you hear here so that you can better understand me because I will uh, take uh, syllables and and kind of crunch them down into one. So so any uh, multisyllabic word that you may hear, I can shorten that by half easily and get through an entire sentence in half the time. But if you're not from around you know, that region, then you may not understand me. Uh, so that's something that I don't have to do. Uh, a lot of uh, idioms uh, that I have to kind of put on the shelf, uh, go, <laughs> I can bring them back out. And it's kind of a, this, that proverbial, you know, let your hair down sort of thing where you don't have to worry about the uncomfortable uh, talks where you meet someone that's a bit older and they have to compliment you on how surprised they are at how articulate you are. Uh, and so it is little, it's a, people call it microaggressions now. Uh, not a huge deal with me uh, in particular, but it's a, just kind of annoying, right? When you are already kind of uh, not really sure how to connect with people uh, that you're very, very unfamiliar with. And so uh, that aspect alone is very challenging. And plus you don't really have much kinship with religious family members because they already think that you're uh, bound for hell and that you're evil right. and this, that, and the other. And that, that, that goes the same for my family. Unfortunately, uh, I am one of the most intelligent and educated people in my family, so they don't have much of a choice but to deal with me. So, <laughs> and, I, and I make sure that they know that. It, it is interesting uh, because I don't, I don't recommend my approach that I have with my family to other atheists because I don't depend on them for anything. It's quite often that there are many black atheists, especially younger than me, that they depend on their family a lot, especially for community, because if you're thrust into this other environment, those same type of connections, those same types of uh, 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 the community is not there. Right. And so now you have to deal with uh, a lot of either kind of like soft racist encounters from you know white liberals or just kind of like the overt racist atheism is unstoppable type of racism from non-believers. So it's like, well, where do you go from here? So then you need organizations like uh, Black Nonbelievers from Mandisa Thomas, uh, and that it is a, a welcome, uh, you know, reprieve from some of the nonsense that you have to end up dealing with throughout, throughout the years. Could you give me maybe perhaps an example of how you, you specifically adjust your speech accordingly between the two audiences you were speaking to, uh, speaking of? Uh, so it's it's almost an unconscious thing now. Uh, so my speech typically changes based on who I'm around. And uh, so when you hear certain pauses in my speech, and so uh, if you listen to the way that I'm speaking now, you'll hear kind of the Obama pause that is really <laughs> emblematic of his speech. That is so that I have time to translate what I want to say into what you can understand that is fully enunciated, has all the syllables, and is, is fully articulated uh, in a manner that most people in America are familiar with. Okay. Um, question from Korag. 
Could you ask Drag to explain to us the difference between philosophical naturalism and methodological naturalism, and how we are commonly strawmanned with philosophical naturalism? That's actually a good question. Uh, I got beat up on that. I say beat up. I got uh, I got that question on atheist experience the first time it went on, and I started explaining methodological naturalism in the scope of uh, science versus holding to philosophical naturalism, just kind of in your day-to-day -day life. And then uh, as I was explaining that, I started explaining that I hold to uh, methodological naturalism, but I'm not necessarily the, uh, the uh, philosophical one. But the irony was that as I was explaining it, I started to indicate more and more that uh, I was a philosophical naturalist. And so anyway, that's, that's my answer. So when you talk about naturalism, that the world, the universe, everything that exists simply is in a fashion that is, uh, uh, you can record it, you can test it, you can measure it, and it typically leaves out uh, things of the divine, things that we would consider supernatural. Because mind you, the, the state of affairs is unknown. A lot of us just presume that everything in the universe is in a pattern such that we can read it and test it and all that, okay? With that presumption, we conduct what we call science. If there is a phenomenon that happens, then we can record it. We can test it. We can use a methodology to go about doing that, right? Because if it's divine providence, then it's a one in a lifetime event. You're probably never gonna see it again. How can you possibly test that, okay? Mm -hmm. now. I don't know if that extends to everything in the universe. There may be some divine intervention or some one-off event that simply occurs, and it is simply an aspect of our universe that I just don't understand. Okay, but if I if I believe that, if I believe that there could that 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 is a part of the universe, then I am not a philosophical naturalist. So therein lies the difference. There's a methodology that I employ. That has to do with the the universe as we know it being testable being repeatable have, having some type of trends or patterns versus uh that's all that there is and there is no uh kind of you know uh, divine intervention so what korag is getting at is that people who and i've seen uh specifically nephilim free he's a big fan of doing this if i say that i use methodological naturalism in the lab, which I do, absolutely. He then extends that to say, well, no, you think that everything in the universe follows that, and then you preclude the possibility of the supernatural, which is not true at all, which is actually not true. I don't know. But then that kind of bleeds over into uh, whether you think that, you know, it's just you're a substance monist or a substance dualist. You know, is there another substance out there that comprises the universe that isn't the, the matter that we're all, you know, all too familiar with? Uh, so f from the audience, uh, someone disagrees and they wanted to say uh, uh, philosophically, everything is necessarily natural and methodological, uh, methodological. We cannot appeal to the supernatural until it is demonstrated. I, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, I don't think that you could have a methodology to demonstrate the supernatural, because if you could do that, then it would be natural. 
Thank you, Christian. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to continue talking about this. And if my explanation was a bit convoluted, then uh, then then feel free to beat me up on it. <laughs> so, you know, absolutely, we can have a discussion on that. But yeah, I think that because you you take a you take uh, oh god, what's a it's a classic example. Uh, you take Koch's postulates with our oh better no 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 spontaneous generation. Uh, we didn't actually know uh, how things kind of formed as far as you know what what caused this piece of bread to degrade people thought that you know if you just left bread out you know worms and stuff would just spawn out of or flies would spawn out of it and so we were able to employ a methodology using the empirical evidence of of you know the setup if you're familiar with that uh with the gooseneck bottles and glassware stuff like that to show that no it's the microscopic you know organisms that are that are doing the stuff to the pieces of bread or cheese or whatever it was uh because if you can do that to something that's supernatural then then why why call it supernatural if you right. can then test it if it's with if it's within the realms of everything else that we've seen for natural phenomena so are you, are you uh, I guess uh, maybe clarify a bit. So you're saying if we can test the supernatural, it's no longer supernatural? Essentially, essentially. It's and that's there's there's some shades of gray of that. Uh, there's the possibility of there's a phenomenon that we could call supernatural, which I guess we would have to then define, uh, you know, or ask how how are we defining supernatural? If there is someone who is resurrected from the dead. You know, and we test to say this person was dead. They their body no longer has a functioning circulatory system, and they're alive somehow, right? There's a way that we could ascertain the facts behind that, and not actually know the mechanisms. Absolutely, but from what we already know, given medical science, it doesn't comport to reality. So then we need something else to investigate those instances and so maybe there needs to be a supernatural methodology that's employed in that case i don't know that makes but sense that that's kind of the distinction i try to make okay um and then uh lastly is there anything else you would like the audience to know or um when it comes to engaging in conversation uh be open to being told that you're wrong and being open to uh being open to be wrong uh, being open to be open to learn, uh, be open to uh, have people sort of walk you through stuff, even though you know you might feel that you understand it uh, quite well. Because the second that you become complacent is the second that you stop learning. And I think that, uh, with that being said, uh, I wouldn't let random people on the internet kind of tell you you know what they they expect of you unless they know you because that that seems to be a really fun thing imagine me and matt were kind of laughing at that um because i for some weird reason there's a lot of people who are very very presumptuous and that within cogent advice there's kind of this almost patronizing tone that comes with their assessment about who you are in your life when uh, you know, we really don't know each other. And so right. I think that uh, be open, like I said, to people, correct me, but also keep people at arm's length. Uh, not everybody's your friend just because, you know, you're online and we're friendly and cordial. Uh, we don't know a lot about uh, one another. 
And keeping that distance, I think, is something that uh, should remain a, a, a mainstay in, in this arena because there's a lot of people who kind of get their, their feelings hurt when uh, things go awry. Oh, that's true. Um, all right, cool. Uh, Dragnot, where can everyone check you out at? Uh, you can just type in my name, Dragnot, in YouTube. You can find me. I'm on Twitch. Uh, I have a Discord. I give the link out every so often. Uh, but uh, I've been less inclined to lately because uh, people have been advocating for people to join the Discord. They don't understand the environment that uh, bad ideas are going to be called out. Uh, not everyone's nice to you. Doesn't matter whether you agree or not. Uh, it's a crowd. And that if you can't defend your points and if you're too sensitive and if you don't want to uh, really engage, then, you know, it's probably not for you. So, uh, no, that's that's it. Awesome. And then uh, so one last thing from Christian uh, Dragnot. If the supernatural exists as described, it is by definition excluded from the natural calculus. Mm-hmm. That is why religious folks hate philosophical naturalism. Right. And so they, they want there to be uh, a world that's not just natural because then God can then interact within the realm, right, within this universe. And so maybe I, I misunderstood Christian's point, uh, which is per- perfectly fine. Uh, that's, you know, uh, that may, I may have misread or misunderstood it. So uh, I, my position, I'm not sure. There may be something out there that exists uh, that's a part of this universe. I don't know if there's a God, but I doubt it. So if there is something that causes these once in a lifetime uh, events, then yeah, it could be what we call supernatural. Right. Uh, but if we're to say that, well, we can investigate that using um, natural means, then I'm highly, highly suspect of that. Because then it's like, well, where are we drawing the line here? Right. So I'm not I'm not really sure how people square that circle, because if I can investigate it using the same stuff that I can investigate enzymes in a the lab, then there's no reason for me to call it supernatural. Awesome. Well, uh, uh, don't disconnect yet, Dragnot, but I want to uh, thank you for doing this. I appreciate right. it. Um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. I want to thank my uh, top-tier patrons, Cindy Plaza, Trina DeLuca, Kenneth Leonard, Christian Watkins, and Kathy Leto, and Ian Davenport. And if you like what I do, there's a link in the description to join the Patreon. And I hope everyone has a good day. Stay safe. Stay ha- happy. Yeah, stay happy. Stay healthy. And uh, Dragnot... Welcome to the neighborhood. Thank you, everyone.